Welcome to the Business Addicts Podcast, where the stakes are high, talk is cheap, and results are on the other side of commitment. Hosted by a former addict, myself, and I'm his wife, Jamie. We uncover addicts' mindsets, showing that the talents you've created in your struggle will be the superpowers you leverage to heal your deepest wounds. Listen to former addicts share stories of how they've flipped the switch, including insights into how much we can believe in ourselves. For those of you affected by addiction, we support your desire to help the addict in your life by raising the stakes and creating emotional barriers. In this episode, we meet Mike and Becky, and we have such a great conversation that we turn this into a two-part episode. Welcome back to the Business Addicts Podcast. Today, we have another couple. This is our favorite thing to do on this podcast, so we're really excited about talking to Mike and Becky. Mike and Becky are from out east. That's as general as I'll be. <laughs> and uh, why don't you, one of you, whoever wants to start, just tell us who you are and introduce yourself to the audience. Yes, I'm Becky. I am currently a full-time mom of our three children, and my degree calling per se is education. I was a teacher preschool teacher for 10-ish years until we had our second child. And uh, then I've been home full time with the idea that eventually I'll get back into teaching again. Which you're dipping your toes back Which I'm dipping my toes back into a little bit, slowly. It's been uh, really fun to be home with my kids and see them growing. And although I I love teaching too. So currently, I'm uh, doing some subbing, volunteering in the classes a lot, and Ideally, getting back into the classroom maybe next year now that our youngest is in school full time. But again, we'll see. We'll see how things work out. And that's a little bit about me. Yeah. (laughs) Can I ask you, before you get started, Mike, can I ask you, Becky, on just your, you said you had a couple different siblings growing up. Yes. What about your family growing up? So my, uh, you know, knock on wood. My family dynamic growing up was super positive, which unfortunately I feel is kind of rare. You know, when Mike and I got together, we talked about this a lot and uh, and saw a lot of people talk of their struggles. And mine was very pleasantly positive. Um, I grew up with two parents, two loving parents, and I have two siblings that are 10 and eight years older than I am. And then a younger sister that's a year and a half younger than I am. So we were all super close. We were all well supported and loved growing up. And we were all felt empowered to follow wherever life was leading per se. And I look back at a very supporting, loving childhood. And I was only able to, I think, excel and follow my dreams, which were to become a teacher. I always wanted to become a teacher from a young age. I always wanted to settle down and have a family from a young age. And those things with the support of loving, supportive parents and family really came true. So we attribute a lot of how we bring up our family right now in the purposeful choices that we've made for our family in having a solid foundation and solid role models of what we saw or what I saw growing up. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a lot the same for Jamie and I. Yeah. Her family was, especially younger childhood, was very healthy and 
They just had a good loving relationship like what you're describing. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. Well, Mike, your turn. All right. And uh, I guess I'm up. Uh, Mike and um, yeah, grew up in Massachusetts here. And boy, how you want like detail? I don't know how. Far go I'm for it. Go Whatever you feel. <laughs> All right. So uh, kind of grew up. Uh, I have one sibling, an older sister. I grew up struggling in school. And I think a lot of my own personal issues kind of stem from that with dyslexia and uh, just reading inabilities and not coping, not learning how to cope with that in a positive way. There was a lot of fighting growing up, just kind of how I coped with things. I would just get in fights, not well in school, everything, just barely graduated high school, luckily to a really phenomenal English teacher that really truly believed in me, really uh, helped push me through the education system, said, hey, you can't stay here forever. <laughs> kind of helped push me through. And when I was young, too, a lot of people that I did look up to were drinking. We didn't, my father didn't drink in the house. He actually got sober when I was about a year old. So he's been in AA since, since I was about a year old. And there wasn't much drinking per se in our house, but a lot of the, you know, every weekend we were at a barbecue or we were, we had a ski club that we went to up, up in New Hampshire, up in the White Mountains. and. Uh, it, we like to say it, it's a it's a drinking club that has a skiing problem, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of what it is. Um, so from a young age, you know, that was really kind of the the, the role model. Was the culture, yeah, yeah, very much so. And I just fell into that trap at a young age and continued through high school. You know, never really going further than alcohol and pot. You know, in high school, and then uh, luckily. After high school, some financial things happened my senior year of high school. So college was no longer an option, which I think is a blessing uh, in disguise because I ended up joining the Marine Corps after high school. And it was probably one of the pivotal moments in my life. For my drinking career, it, it skyrocketed. <laughs> you know, the yeah. Marine Corps was... Uh, Founded in a, in a in a bar, so um, there was a lot of pride in, in how much you can drink and, and mm-hmm. be able to get up in the morning, continue just your day. But it also gave me a great foundation that I think I was missing with not not necessarily missing, but a lot of great work ethic, a lot of holding myself accountable, seeing how far I could push myself that I didn't believe in, and I think that really helped along the way. Then shortly after the, uh, the Marine Corps, right after the Marine Corps, when I got out, I went to pilot training school down in Florida for a year or so, and then worked for that company actually as a mechanic. And that's when I actually worked at one of their satellite facilities up here in Massachusetts, running the maintenance for that facility. And that's when I met Becky. And when I met Becky, I think a lot of things changed. <laughs> I had to suppress a lot of my uh, past waves. I was still drinking quite a bit, but I definitely didn't. I tried not to get in fights. I made sure I stayed away from fights uh, while definitely with Becky. Uh, we, often, we often say that we're <laughs> that we're yin and yang, like we're you know we're a good balance for each other. And uh, you know he was always. You're always more on the wild side, and I am always more on the conservative side. And had we met when Mike was in his real 
party days, it would have not been a great match at all. No, you would have ran for the hill. I mean, you wouldn't even talk to me. We just wouldn't have matched. And there is actually a photo of us in South Boston at a friend's house uh, for a party. Anyways, we had met, but she had no interest in me at the time because that's (laughs) who we were. Yeah, we were just weren't a good match at that point. (laughs) But fast forward to that point, we were both, you were you were trying to settle down a little bit. I was trying bit. to settle down. I didn't think I ever wanted a family or even a marriage for that Yeah. at that point in time. And then I met Becky and I think a lot of my ideas and values changed. I don't know, something just clicked and I just changed a lot of how we how I conducted myself for the better. My jerking didn't stop. I think you acknowledged your value a little bit too. Well, you definitely pulled that out. Yeah. Because I yeah. used to, you know, a big part of me was, you know, oh, I'm just a dumb, muck, uh, you know, uh, knuckle dragger, you know, mechanic, you know, just that's just kind of the downplay we put on ourselves or myself. And Becky actually curbed me of that early on. We were dating. And you were like, don't ever call yourself stupid. You know, yeah. why would you ever do that? Negative you know, then, talk. I was like, yeah. of course not. <laughs> And, uh, and it was great because, you know, you know, at that point, you know, I I hadn't been stupid, you know, I really excelled in aviation as a mechanic and then also as a pilot. So, I mean, really I had nothing to prove to myself other than I, I did have the smarts to do stuff. But, and Mike and I talk about, so my educational background, I like to like look at his (laughs) formative years and realize how. What a disservice just happened because, you know, he had a learning disability and instead of being able to nurture his strengths in the classroom, and even if his parents to a point, because they didn't understand, those weren't. So he became, to cope with that, he just built up a wall and would fight or not let people come close or drink. and Yeah, even my close friends didn't know me. Yeah. I think, you know, like I had lots of friends and even what I call consider close friends, but I don't think they actually ever knew me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Mike's a brilliant mechanic. Brilliant. He can fix and build just about anything. But, you know, that that wasn't perceived in the school setting he was in. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. And then fast forward, you know, we st- settled down. We have kids. We have three children, ages six to 15. And I think when our first, when our oldest was born, that's when I realized I had a lot of anger issues mm-hmm. and I didn't really parlay the alcohol and the anger together. I, I kind of kept them very separate. And um, I think Molly was two years old, I think it was. And I rem- I remember it Claire's day. She went to run across the street, you know, and I, you know, I, grabbed her. I said, no, 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 no. You can't run across the street. And we started walking back up the driveway and she bolted. And I got angry, like uh, an anger came over me, like a, a, a really a rage almost, you know, and I grabbed her, you know, luckily I didn't hurt my hurt her or anything, but you know, I grabbed her and I felt that rage. Like I, I did when I was young and I wanted to fight somebody like that was that rage that I had. And I was like, holy cow, like, this is my kid. Like, I started seeing a psychiatrist right after that. That's when I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to change. Like I can't act like this with my kids. And that's mm-hmm. when I started seeing that psychiatrist. Yeah. Years ago. I mean, for 15, 14 years ago, 13, 14 years ago. 
And I didn't recognize my alcoholism until about four years after that. I think it was about that. Yeah, because I think I've been alcohol-free since now, 2012, so nine and a half years or so, roughly. So, and that was, you know, things needed to change. And that's, you know, fast forward a couple of years, the underlying, I think a a big underlying issue that was a wall for me that wouldn't allow me to, to really see my own faults was the alcohol. I think a lot of, I would just kind of brush it off. Oh, that's this reason or that reason. And I'd make an excuse for it and then continue drinking. And I wasn't a daily drinker. I was a weekend drinker. Becky, do you want to jump in? Is there anything during that period of time that you want to share? Sure. So uh, like Mike touched upon, um, when we first got together, we... And still to this day, we we are very much opposites in many ways, but we find that opposites in good ways that make each other better. You know, Mike is much more impulsive and much more busy and let's do A, B, and C. And I'm much more slow and steady. Let's think about it. Let's plan it out and let's do it. But those are both great things and they work for, they work, we work together really well, I think. As far as the beginning of our relationship, it was tough in the beginning, I would say. When we first, when we were a new couple, our oldest was basically a honeymoon baby. So we were relatively newly married, newly parents. Felt like a lot of adapting to life at that point, you know? And at that point, Mike was still drinking. And it was, I'm not going to say at that point, I a huge issue, but it was a consistent issue. Yeah. Every weekend. Yeah. It was every weekend. And, you know, I was home with a colicky baby. So I was stressed out and then he would come home from working all day and he'd be stressed out and just wanted a drink to chill out. And I'd be, but you need to help me with the baby (laughs) um, type of stuff. But I think we got through it. You yeah, know? I, and we did. And I think a lot of the, I mean, at, at the core of our relationship, we've always had a great respect for each other, mm-hmm. regardless of where our views were, whether it be how we, how we discipline the kids or how we viewed anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always knew that Becky had her, like the family's best interest at heart. And I, I believe that Becky always felt like I did. Now, whether we took different paths to get there, we we definitely look at things differently, Mm -hmm. which is great because sometimes it pulls you out of your shell. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it puts the brakes on for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great balance. It's a Mm -hmm. yin and yang that that we really enjoy. Yeah. I mean, that's been our experience too, is like, we're very, very different, Jamie and I. And I think there's a lot, like when you get married young, like you do pick someone. I remember some things that people said about me. They said. Like, I wasn't happy until I met Jamie. That's not really a great sales pitch. But anyway, <laughs> she made me happy. <laughs> it's not a great sales pitch for who I was at the time. But, you know, she did the same thing as what you talked about with Becky, where she drew, she believed in me. She saw something in me that really I wasn't acknowledging about myself, but more believing in that person and what they can accomplish. And I hear that from you even now. But, like, that's an important thing that definitely helps you get through some deeper problems. Would you say that working with a psychologist helped you get to that point where you could see that there was a problem with alcoholism? Because like, there is definitely this theme that I've heard, and I recognize in myself, that as an addict, we're blind to something. 
like to an area of our life that is affecting us deeply and even more so maybe the people around us. So what would you say got you to that point where you could see it? Oh, boy. So I don't know if the psychiatrist really, I think deep down, um, you know, having grown up around alcohol, having seen what it does to people, I think I knew a long time ago. I mean, I knew, I knew when I first got out of the Marine Corps, when I first got out, I remember coming back to Boston, working in Boston with a friend, just doing some, some work, living at my cousin's house until my school started up. So it was supposed to be like, I think I was supposed to be up here for like three weeks. I ended up here for about a week and a half. And I mean, it was every morning, every day we were drinking, getting up, going hanging gutters on, on people's houses. You know, it was just, it was just kind of a gap filler before my school started. And I mean, I was drinking every single night and then waking up, climbing a ladder, still drunk. I mean, everything was still going on. And I'm like, you know, this just isn't right. I remember talking to my father at that point. And I was young. I was, you know, 23 years old. And I asked my father, I'm like, hey, you know, I think I got a problem, you know. And uh, <laughs> and his, he was just like, well, you're young. That's what you do. And which I knew it was beyond that point. If I can interject yeah. for a second. So the background for Mike, too, is his family are all drinkers. They're either all drinkers or they're all in recovery. Virtually everyone. That every single person. Yeah. And the culture was just drink. I mean, it was, that's what it was. You went yeah. to somebody's house. They had a bar in the basement. They had a cold one waiting for you. Beer, that, beer didn't, so, matter, yeah. didn't even really matter the age, really. Right? No, age didn't matter. And beer was totally accepted at breakfast. I yeah. mean, it was, it, it was, yeah. If you want to have a beer with breakfast, go for it. You know? So to say like, I mean, again, I wasn't with you at this point, but my pull on it is he always knew it was an issue, an issue but it was just life at that point too, yeah, you know? And so. to even go back, like I crashed a few cars in high school. Luckily we walked away from them. And one, one in particular, we put it through a stone wall, like an old, old fashioned farm wall. And my, my buddy had to get rushed to the hospital and we were drunk. It was a small town. The police officer knew who I was. The ambulance driver was our old soccer coach you know, I mean, it was that type of small town and it all just kind of got swept under the rug and it was chalked up to, hey, this is what you do when you're young. Mm -hmm. And we all have jackpots like this. And I don't think my parents ever had ill intentions. I think that's just kind of the culture that, that it was at the time and the place that we lived. It was just what people did. And I remember very pointedly, and I did not grow up like that at all. Um, no, no. My if, parents if your dad has a beer, it's like a shock. Once in a blue moon. My yeah. parents just weren't drinkers. It wasn't our, it wasn't our dynamic. But I remember very pointedly when Mike and I were first together, Mike coming home and he would crack a beer at dinner every night. And I remember like, I don't even know. It wasn't very long. And I was like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> Like, we're just not that you don't need that. Like, this is dinner. We don't, you know, this is a random Tuesday night dinner. Like, we didn't have kids at that point. I was like, no, we're not doing that. And he looked at me, not in not in anger or anything, just like, like, he'd never seen it that way before. You know, that was just so part of your culture or part of whatever you want to call yeah. it part of it how you accepted. grew up. That's what they did. You know, it was always Drinking was always part of what happened, regardless of it. If it was a meal, if yeah. it was a party, if it was anything, anything, it, it was kind of the focal point, and then everything else kind of followed in soup. And he was it. like, "Oh, like people yeah. don't do that, really." <laughs> <laughs> you 
<laughs> and so I guess to get back to your question about the psychiatrist kind of opening that door for me, the door had already been opened years years prior. And then as I was looking at more of my anger issues, I didn't look at it as an alcohol issue. I looked at it more as just I, I had some serious anger issues and I needed to curb that. It wasn't a drink bar. I needed to curb my anger. So I worked on a lot of that stuff. And it was about a year later, I remember calling my father and I would just, I was just at a point where I couldn't, I couldn't drink anymore. I was just, it, it just, I knew there was a, a problem. I called him up and he actually drove out. He lives about an hour and a half away. And he drove out and brought me to an AA meeting, introduced me to the guys. I tried that for a little bit. I think I stayed clean for about three months or so, roughly. Yeah, you had a couple couple, couple months. Trials. couple trials. And then I was like, well, I could do this socially and, and kind of go back to the drinking thing. And then it just progressively got worse. Separated my shoulder playing hockey. So I've got a whole bunch of painkillers. And then it kind of went down that rabbit hole of like, well, you know, doctor prescribed. I can pop a couple pain pills, have a couple beers. I'm really set sail, like I'm out of my mind, but it only looks like I had two beers, you know, and that went on for a while. That went on for a while. Um, yeah. I was always getting injured. I mean, I'm an active guy, I mountain bike a lot. I, I can always find an injury and there was- Always justify. Always justify. And 10 years ago, it was very easy for a doctor to just, yeah, sure, not a problem. Yep. Separated shoulder, or dislocated finger again, or whatever the case may be, I could always find something. I remember it, it was like a, uh, a Monday night. I was frustrated from work or whatnot. Becky, Becky put the kids to bed. We had a, we had a, a son and a daughter at the time. Yeah. So both little. Yeah. Both were little. Johnny was like an infant. And Johnny was about a year old. Yeah. Yeah. And Molly was four. So yeah. little. So, you know, high stress, high everything. Yeah. And so I remember Becky was putting the kids to bed. And we kind of had a little bit of an argument right before that, because, you know, it was probably my time, my turn to, to put typically the kids to bed. we, we did it together or we would take turns. One like would take one, one and one would take the other for bedtime. And he was in a mood and was crabbing for whatever reason, for whatever reason. And I remember Becky going upstairs. Oh, giving Johnny a bath. I think that's what it was. Or giving one of the kids a bath or something like that. And um, I remember opening up the cabinet there was one of the painkillers. I took two of those. I poured myself a drink. I downed the drink. I poured myself another one and I sat on the couch and Becky was putting the kids to bed and I just felt awful. Like I knew it, it sunk in. And then the next day. That um, was like the point where it that was, hit him like a ton of bricks. It, like, it was my own personal. What bottom. am I doing? You know, yeah. I have a wonderful family upstairs and this is what I'm doing. And Becky had no clue about the, the pills, like mm -hmm. zero clue. And so the next day I went to work, I came home from work. And now at this point, I'm all agitated. I'm out of pills. I don't have any more pain pills. I'm super agitated. I wanted to drink, but I, I knew I didn't need to drink. I knew that was not the answer. So I went out for a run to the gym. I hit the gym. And then as I was about to start jogging home, I knew where the AA building was, like where they held meetings and everything else. And it just happened to be the beginning of a meeting and I was jogging by it. And I remember breaking down in the parking lot, crying and walking into the meeting and sitting down and going to that meeting. And I just knew at that point, it was like, it was over. The game was up. Like there was, there was no more. I couldn't do this anymore. It wasn't sustainable. I remember coming home and um, Becky didn't know about the pills. Mm -hmm. So I had been hiding that 
whole side of it, you know? And so Becky didn't And he realize. was very, I don't know if defensive is the word, but like, like, give me a break. I just need to have a couple drinks or listen, I I'm just playing, a- I'm playing hockey. And this is what you do after hockey. You, uh, he'd play hockey and then not remember how he got home. Cause they'd have drinks after the game and come home. But like, it's not a big deal. Like I just need a few drinks. I need to relax. I need to chill out. I need to do this and that. So it was very much like, it's not a problem. It's your problem. Cause I was the one home with the kids and I was the home do- doing this and yeah, that. I tried to play that role way too hard and, yeah. and it wasn't fair to Becky. It wasn't fair to the kids. It, it was, I mean, it, and I wasn't being honest, like, and that's really what bugged me most. Um, and, and that goes into my childhood too, is, is more, uh, my father lied a lot and we didn't know a lot of the lies until we got older. And there was a lot of lying. Uh, and I always said to myself, I'll never lie to Becky. And, and I mean, that was really a big thing. Like it, it still is to this day. It's a very big thing about being honest. And I realized at that point I was, I was full of it. I hadn't told the truth. Becky had no clue about the pills, no clue about anything. And I hit that wall and I came home and I spilled my, spilled my guts to Becky. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was bawling. <laughs> I remember just, this is what I've been doing. This is where I'm at. I just went to a meeting. This needs to stop. I need to just be done with it. And, uh, and luckily, you know, Becky was great and accepting and a, a big part of our, a part of my life. And I just uh, didn't want that to be. I didn't, I, I needed that cycle to end, you know, that, that cycle of that BS talk and, and, you know, yeah, I do what I say, but don't do what I do type, type mentality. And I needed that to change not only for our relationship to continue and, uh, but also for my kids, like this is, this was not the life I wanted to show my kids. Yeah. So, so to speak. Yeah. So the psychiatrist <laughs> circling, circling all the way back, psychiatrist definitely opened that door. Whether it's subconsciously or whatnot, sitting and talking with somebody really helped open that door of like self exploration, self belief. I guess I don't know. Telling yourself the truth and, and really seeing the root cause. Like, yeah, it's not everyone else. Like, there's a great saying. You know, when everyone else is a jerk around you, it's usually not everyone else. You know, so yeah. it's, it's when you got to start looking inside. It sounds like just. I'm hearing maybe more from you than other people. Just, you know, like when we don't process some things from childhood or just different things that we don't quite understand. And then later it's like, oh, you know, that's like, it sounds like the psychologist helped you to dig into some of those things that were deep, like under the surface and you weren't really aware of it. And I'm also feeling from you that some of that is you. like. You were also, you picked up some things you, when you met Becky right away, you saw how she believed in you. There was a, you weren't even planning on having a relationship. You weren't even planning on getting married or having a family. And there was something that she brought out of you that was like, oh, cool. There's a possibility here of a lot more in my life. Yeah. So Becky's very honest. So like how Becky is, is how Becky is. I don't think I ever met anybody else that was truly who they, it it was like this pure honesty. Like It was like, not only to herself, but to everyone else around her. And it was amazing. It was like, whoa, you're not full of it. Like you really are that person, you know, that really caring person. And And it's 
this kindness that people say and people do to either impress people or to show, hey, this is how good I am. And then they kind of do some other things on the side, you know, and that's kind of what I grew up around. It's like, you know, that lot. Mike's family, very nice, but will tell you exactly what you want to hear, even if it's not the truth. And that was, it's not beneficial. It's not beneficial. And it's never been what Becky is about. Like, and it's not what her family's about. And it's like, it's very open, very honest about how they feel whether you like that or not, and not in a mean way. It's never, there's never a meanness to it. Even when it's something hard to hear, there's never this like driving force of of being mean. There's no underlying, you know, I don't know, uh, anything to it. It, It's just, it's pure, Mm -hmm. which is something I had never seen. My question is, I'm not sure how well articulated it is or well thought out, but Kevin and I have been studying a little bit this idea of emotional intelligence. And, you know, once you overcome your addiction and stop the addiction, it doesn't necessarily rebuild the muscle of higher levels of emotional intelligence. And so that's something that we're just starting to dig into and understand a little bit better. And I feel like what what I hear you saying is that Becky's family comes from maybe a higher level of emotional intelligence. And so you're maybe seeing that, but then experiencing it and actually doing it is maybe a different thing. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think that's spot on. Absolutely. We talk a lot about that, particularly Mike's working with a friend, coaching a friend and the same thing. He's relatively newly clean, but his social emotional skills are still really low. Like young teen, you know, like just hasn't grown from there. And I, and I say the same thing, you know, when I'm subbing in the classroom, like a lot of these kids social emotionally aren't growing in the classroom. They're dealing a lot with, you know, just this trauma of whatever is going on in their home life, but they can't grow social emotionally. Then there's a lot of stuff that suffers. I will say with Mike is he's always been really good at accountability and like realizing things about himself and then working on them. Like early on where he talked about the anger, like he realized early on, like, this is my problem. It's not your fault or anyone else's fault. This is my issue. And how can I work through this and make it better? And Mike is really good at apologizing. Like he recognizes when he's wrong. I mean, I'm not great at that. I think a lot of us, you know, like to sometimes the ego, the ego, the ego the gets ego in there. Gets in but there. Mike has always been really good about listen. You know, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened. I'm sorry I did that. Let's figure out how we can go on from here. Type of yeah. thing. So, and especially with the kids, like if I yell at the kids or something like that, it's. I think it's really important to show that hey, even though we're parents and adults, it's okay that we have emotions. We're gonna not always choose the best emotion to come out. And as long as, and I get this a lot from the 12 steps. And I think that when you have an issue, you see it, you clear up your side of the street as soon as possible. You know, even though my kids were doing something they shouldn't have been doing, it wasn't okay for me to yell at them the way I did and make them feel awful. I could have handled it in a better situation. I could have had a better conversation with them. And I'll be very clear with them about that. You know, it's not okay for anyone to talk to you this way. And, and owning your side of the the issue because that's and that's a social emotional issue is like 
that growth. And I feel that when I really truly started working the steps, uh, like a 12 step program and, and really honestly doing it, that changed everything. That was a game changer. Yeah. I'm with you there, but I'm also feeling that like, this is a part of you from very young, like maybe the part that you, that is deep in there that you wanted to be like this, that you really wanted to own things for who you are. And so yes, kind of processing that stuff and the 12 steps is great for processing, but like there, that was you. It's just, it wasn't completely modeled and probably it was other people in your family, but they didn't know that they could bring it out or that might've been even why your dad stopped drinking. At, when you were one year old, it was that he had some of that same approach of like, oh, one hundred percent. And I think, and it's funny too, because now my son is a lot like me. My son is like a little clone of myself, and um, but he's a he doesn't suppress anything, you know. So he struggles a little bit with reading, but it never phases him. Like he'll get up in front of his class and start reading. Like he he'll be the first to volunteer to read out loud, and he'll stutter and he'll kind of have to really push himself through it, but he never feel he never allows himself to feel overwhelmed or it's it's fascinating to look he's living the way that i wanted to but i felt like i had to you know prove something so there's a deep authenticity that i'm feeling that you really always really wanted to be authentic yes there was some distractions but like um you know the service to the Marine Corps, all those things. It's like the things that you were really great in your life was deep commitment, authenticity, and that came along and was a strength for you. You've reached the end of part one. In part two, we'll continue the conversation focusing first on how our youth and the people that we grow up around shape how we deal with challenges later in life. We'll also hear from Becky about the front lines of education today. Thank you for tuning in. And to stay in touch, email us at info at businessaddictspodcast.com.